the wind was not the beginning. There are neither beginnings nor endings to the turning of the wheel of time. But it was a beginning. Hello and welcome! This is The Wind Was a Beginning, a podcast about Robert Jordan's The Wheel of Time. This is Season 2, Episode 16. If Bella gets left behind, I quit. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Wind Was a Beginning. My name is Justin. My good buddy Steven is here with me. Say hi, Steven. Hey, folks. And as you know, we are your hosts for this uh, wonderful adventure reading Robert Jordan's uh, The Wheel of Time. Uh, we are in book two, The Great Hunt, uh, and we are talking about chapters 45 through 46 this week. But Steven, how are you doing this week? You know, I am doing great. Uh, we... It's been a nice uh, weekend leading up to this, and uh, now headed into some holiday time and just uh, enjoying some relaxation. Yeah, I hear you on that, man. I am excited because as of this recording and listeners, when you're going to be hearing this, it's college football season. That's true. <laughs> uh, we are recording this just to, you know, we, re- we record a little bit in advance, and uh, this is uh, opening weekend uh, coming up, so I'm excited for that. You see, th- here's the thing. You know, you can be a nerd and love sports, too. Yeah, sure. And I, I, I am uh, I'm, I'm living my best life in both of those things because this is one of my favorite times of year because there's so much happening sports-wise. I mean, we're getting down to the end of the baseball season. Football is starting. There's other stuff going on. So I'm, I'm like a kid in a candy store right now, and I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. Uh, speaking of which, I've got a baseball game on while we're, we're recording, as usual. You've come to expect that from me. You're not going to hear it because the volume's all the way down, but I I like to keep an eye on it and see how things are going, especially in this time of year. Um, But that's about uh, enough about my my, my other interests. Uh, How about we get right into this? Sure. Sounds great. Yeah. So again, listeners, we're in chapters 45 through 46 of The Great Hunt. So if you have not read those chapters yet, uh, go ahead and do that. Hit the pause button, and uh, we'll be here waiting for you when you get back. So take your time. Uh, spend some time with these chapters and uh, look at them carefully because there is a lot to cover, uh, and we're excited about it tonight or this week, whenever you're listening. All right. Chapter 45, Blade Master. As the smell of breakfast cook fires fill the air, Nynaeve, Elaine, and men begin to execute a plan to rescue Egwene. Meanwhile, Rand's party infiltrates the home of High Lord Turok, searching for the horn and the dagger. They find their quarry, but 
but dangerous obstacles stand in the way of their escape. So I thought the best way to break really both of these chapters down was to take it by point of view, because we get several uh, POVs in each one of these chapters, actually. So I think that's the best way to break it down. So yeah. let's start with what's going on with Nynaeve and and her crew, shall we? Sure. Yeah, and, I mean... You know, the first thing that I, I wanted to mention was Nynaeve's leadership that yeah. we see um, especially showing up here in in this chapter i mean we've already kind of seen it a little bit but we're 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 seeing it you know come to its its fullness i think in these chapters she is really taking on that role big time uh, one of the things that stood out the most to me i think is you know she's prepared to go down with the ship uh metaphorically speaking yeah. Down, down to the point of she kind of deceptively led Elaine and men to think that if if things go wrong, run and she'll be right there with them. When it doesn't seem like that's really her intention. She wants them to run and get away, but I, I think she's prepared to stay behind and face whatever comes, but not really face whatever comes. Yeah. Uh, she's ready to fight, uh, and she's ready to die even, but there is one thing she will not allow, and she will not let herself be captured like what happened to Egwene. She has made that determination here that uh, basically it comes down to the fact that she's decided that it's better to be dead than to be a demone. I would have to say I would probably wholeheartedly agree with her on that one. Yeah. Uh, so, and she doesn't even know the full extent of it yet. Right. You know, she knows what men, what she worked out of men, but even and, that is enough to make her prefer death over being yeah. collared. And, and that was even, you know, it was even mentioned, I think, that she, uh, she kind of felt like men was holding back. Yep. Uh, so she, yeah, she still doesn't know the full extent, but she's going to know enough soon enough, right? Yeah, it will not take much longer for her to really understand what all is happening. Yeah, so so what's the plan here? What are, what, what are they trying to do? I mean, well, they're trying to get in and rescue Egwene, but what's their plan? So their plan starts out one way and then shifts almost immediately because of that's how plans go. <laughs> uh, you know, the plan is only a plan until you start the plan and then the plan gets changed. We, we've played enough sessions of D&D. We know how that works. Yeah. Uh, but the, the starting out plan is there. She has is convinced that she has figured out how to open the collar on a, a Dom. Right. And so they wait until they can get a Suldam and Damani alone in this alley, and then she pops the collar. Not even knowing if she can, she's just praying that she figured it out. Thankfully for her, it works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, the plan kind of escalates from there. Their original plan was to 
you know, basically tie these women up, take their places, and use their, their clothes to sneak into the compound. Uh, but things kind of go off the rails pretty quick as soon as the Demone is free and she starts, you know, <laughs> taking her revenge on the, the sword dog. <laughs> right. Um, but that's not really, that's not where the plan deviates the most, I, I would say, because it's, it seems like the original plan was, you know, between Nynaeve and Elaine, one of them's going to wear the bracelet, one of them's going to wear the collar. Yeah. But that's not how it ends up. Thankfully, that's not how it ends up because, um, you know, Elaine definitely was not looking forward. She she hasn't worn a collar either, but she's heard enough that she definitely wasn't looking forward to that. But uh, it takes another route. It does. Uh, because in the frustration, it, you know, it's almost happenstance how it happened. Yeah, I don't I don't even think Nynaeve is fully aware of what she's doing when she goes to put the collar on Sita's neck. Yeah. I, I don't think she's she's fully thinking it out, or, you know, she probably would have listened to men who was trying to protest, hey, it won't work, it won't work, only to find out, yeah, it actually kind of does work. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's very interesting how this all plays out. I kind of love the scene after that collar is around her neck that, you know, she's still gagged at that point. You know, she can't talk. And Nynaeve says, you know, she's, she's making noises. And then Nynaeve figures out that she's laughing. Yeah. Because at this point, the Suldam doesn't have a clue what's happening either. (laughs) (laughs) Well, she, you know, I, I would say I would, I would guess she's as aware as Nynaeve is that something is not what they expected. I don't know. To me, it seems like, until Nynaeve decides to do what she does, I think the Suldam, like, doesn't understand. Obviously, anybody could put a collar on, but I think until Nynaeve takes action, she doesn't realize what's happened to her, you know? For that first minute, she still seems cocky, and then uh, Nynaeve adds to what she's feeling, and all of a sudden, it's very real. All of a sudden. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, Nynaeve basically does to her what she's been doing to Damani for however long she's been a Suldam. Yeah. And all of a sudden, she knows how that feels, which is, you know, kind of something I think that needs to be talked about is, is you know, how these, these different ladies feel about this Adam that, you know, is, is being... Cause we already kind of touched on Elaine. She's scared of the thing. Yeah, and yeah. rightfully so. Yeah, like <laughs> at one at one point, you know, it, Nynaeve even has to say to her, you know, it won't bite you. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, it is, it, it's, it, I think you're right. It's the nature of that thing, you know, you should be afraid of it. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, Sita, when she realizes that this thing is working on me the way that it works on a Demane, you know, she is suddenly, she goes, she shifts really fast, right? She shifts from mocking and 
you know, laughing to, you know, fear, like not, not just yeah. fear, but, but abject terror. Yeah. And then groveling the, and begging and yeah. Yeah. Um, and then of course, Nynaeve has her own experience and she's on the other end of it. And well, basically she's sickened by the whole thing. Yeah. You know, she, she almost, she, to her, it's like she feels tainted from just having it on. Yeah. Uh, like, and it, uh, obviously it's something they have to do here to to get to Egwene. But I think, you know, it's one of those, like, it just makes her feel dirty for even, you know, being that, that's a part a, of it in any way. That, that's a good way to, that's a good way to put it. I think that, that she does feel that way. And I, I, I guess, you know, it can, you know, we we know that she's been using the whole idea of Suldam Damani. That that's been fueling her anger, which allows her to channel. Yeah, this probably helps that, don't you think? <laughs> yeah, and she even mentions that at one point uh, later on in the chapter. How it's like she, she all she has no problem channeling. Right. Like she has to all, she has to actually make herself stop at one point. Right. Which is something I don't think she's ever done. <laughs> well, like I don't know, recall she ever turning it off. Yeah, uh-huh. we we we've seen that with with some of the other characters like Rand and and Egwene. Um this first time we see that with Nynaeve, that 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 desire for more that uh seems to seems to come with the power especially early on, but may, maybe it doesn't really go away. Yeah, but it's definitely there early on in one's training. Um, what else can we say though about uh, about that horrible device? Uh, you know, it's you know, it's we, very interesting how you know, kind of seeing a little bit more since we get Nynaeve's perspective on it, we get a little bit more of an indication of what it's like for the Suldam. Yeah, we've we've learned what it's like for the Demane from Egwene. Right, um, right. But now we kind of see the other side of it, and it's very intriguing how it works. Um, to me, this is just uh, my thing here. I think that the Adam is a corrupted uh, twisting of the Aes Sedai water bond. Okay. Or the same type of bonds as that like it seems it's obviously taken to another level with yeah. the absolute submission and things like that but a lot of the elements of what Nynaeve describes like that little bundle of emotions that you know a lot of that is very similar to how the water bond is described with an Aes Sedai how she okay. can always feel her water even if they're away that kind of thing right uh, so it, it's very intriguing to me i wonder if whoever created the adam you know took and twisted and used that bond to create that well and it's funny you should mention that because we you know i don't think we discussed this on the show but we did uh in an earlier chapter get a glimpse of how the adam was created and it was created by an an Aes Sedai. Um, I believe it was hinted that they were 
Black Aja or working for the, the Shadow, but, you know, it was created by someone who maybe is familiar with that, with that bond, who knows yeah. firsthand what it's like. And I, I think that's a compelling theory. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'd like to know more about that. Um, yeah, it was the woman who created it was an Aes Sedai, and the first Demane was one of her sisters. Yeah, that's awful. You know, so I think it's strongly indicated that the woman was part of the Black Aja, because honestly, who else would be able to do that to another person? Right. Like, you pretty much would have to be a dark friend, especially given the three oaths, to be able to do that to somebody else. Yeah. Like, that's just absolutely despicable. Yeah. Which is kind of what we've seen from the Sean Chan all along, right? Yep. Uh, you, you, you've been trying to convince me that they are in fact the worst <laughs> throughout, uh, this whole thing. But, uh, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm coming around They're They're pretty awful. Uh, they're pretty despicable. So, you know, I, uh, I don't really feel any sympathy here for Sita. Um, Oh no. You know, she's, it's, it's basically a case of she's getting a taste of her own medicine. She's finding out what she's been dishing out for however long she's been wearing the bracelet. And, uh, now she's getting a taste of it. But at this point, we don't still really know, uh, how it works. Why it's working. All, all we, all we got was from, from men basically is that it shouldn't be able to work, but it does. Yeah. Um, and Which now we've draws got lots more questions. It, it does. And, and I think we're, we're going to get that answer later, but we'll cross yeah. that bridge when we come to it right now. The plan is they, you know, as we said before, deviated from the original plan, which was, you know, at this point it would be naive wear the bracelet, Elaine, wear the collar. Well, now they've got somebody else to wear the collar. Um, yeah. And which, I love, I love the fact that the minute uh, Nynaeve puts on the bracelet and can tell what it is and what it does with the, in relation to Sita, she immediately realizes that she could never put this on Elaine. Yeah. Like, there's not enough gold in the world to make her do that. Yeah, and, and, and the thing about that is, like, right before that, she had been saying, you know, if, you know, it, it came down to who could fit into which dress, essentially. Yeah. And, you know, you know, right before that, she had been saying to Elaine, hey, if 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 you could wear this dress, I'd be wearing the, the collar, you know. So she was basically telling her to just suck it up, deal with it. Yeah. And let's get this over with. But then as soon as she realizes what it does, she has a change of heart. Yeah. Uh, which I guess goes back to that, uh, you know, that that's that leadership, but also that compassion yeah. that uh, that that. Nynaeve has, uh, which we haven't, I don't guess we've seen a whole lot from her, but it's definitely there. Well, yeah, it would, it would have to be. I mean, she's the, she's the wisdom, right? She's a, he, she is at her core, despite everything else. She's a healer, right? Right. You know, that's, that's what, who she is as a person. Now she's fierce when she needs to be. She's, uh, can be hard to steal if she not needs to be, but at her core, she is a caring person, right? And I will definitely get some of that fierceness in the next chapter. Uh, but I guess right now the thing is, is just, you know, getting into the Damani quarters 
getting yep. to Egwene and getting her out. Yeah, and but I there's think, a whole. Go ahead. I think men men puts it best. Uh, where are we going to dance with the Dark One himself? Yeah, that's a good <laughs> that's a good way to put it. Um, but there is uh, plenty of other stuff going on in Falma at the same time, isn't there? There is. Uh, we get a a little POV change here for just a second, at least. Yeah. <laughs> Bail Dolman is waiting on his ship. Yeah. Nervously. And, yep. you know, his crew is ready to shove off, but he is determined to, yeah. you know, to stay put and keep his promise. That's really all we get from Bail Dolman. Yep. Uh, He's I think. A, you get that he is a man of his word. Which I think is an important point to, to hold on to. Yep. Um, well, we'll come back to Bail Doman in a little bit. Let's go back to... Uh, let's go back to Rand. Yep. Uh, we are in the city now. The five have ridden forth. We've got Rand, Ingtar, Huron, Perrin, and Matt. And they are in the city. Basically crisscrossing the city following the trail that Padden Fane has left behind. Yeah. And where does that lead us? <sighs> Thankfully, it leads us to uh, none other than the house of High Lord Turok. It does take Which, them a little bit to get there, but uh, yeah. that is where they end up. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I have to admit though, I, I was probably feel, I would have probably been feeling that frustration with Ingtar that, you know, here we are, we're going all over the city. We don't really seem to be getting any closer, but you know, Huron's just doing what he can do. Yeah. Just following the trail all over the city. But yeah, we find ourselves in, or, or at, uh, Turok's house, uh, where he has set up his, um, his headquarters, if you will, where he's living. Um, yeah, and I think it's interesting. I had something I wanted to point out real quick while we're here. Um, so Huron gets them this far, and I, I think it's kind of fun. In this book, we've had several of our different characters take turns being basically the tracker. <laughs> okay. You know, Perrin was doing it for a while. Huron was doing it for a while. Right here at the end... It's Matt's turn. So <laughs> Matt gets Huron to take gets over. Them, yeah, Huron gets them close, and then they're going to keep walking and looking, and all of a sudden, Matt speaks up because right. he can feel the dagger. He know he knows he knows that the dagger is in this house. Yeah, and he's like, "The dagger's there. The horn has to be with it. Let's go." <laughs> well, because right, because all Huron can say for certain is that uh, Padden Fane has been here. He suspects as, as as late as the night before. Yeah. But he has no confirmation of that. But Matt can say the horn, not the horn, but the dagger is in that building. And they're confident that they're both going to be in the same place. Yeah. Because at this point, they're still under the assumption that Fane has the horn. Right. And the dagger, presumably still inside the chest. Right. I, I was just thinking, as far as they know... There's no reason that the chest should be opened. Yeah. So that both should be, like, together yeah. in the same, literally in the same place. Uh, yeah. Which they are, 
just just a little different presentation than they expected. Inside the chest, which we find that out after a little bit of uh, uh, breaking and entering, a little yeah. uh, sneaky, sneaky, and a little stabby, <laughs> stabby from Ingtar. And it's a stabby, stabby, sneaky, sneaky. Yep. Um, and uh, we've got the horn and the dagger in hand. Yep. It it it, it, it was easy, right? Yeah. Maybe was, a little too easy. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's an interesting reason why, uh, you know, it's almost like they walked into a trap. You, you think, you, you think it was, I mean, it, it, it does feel that way, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. With the uh, screens hiding the doorways and just suddenly there's yeah. soldiers right there. Uh, it does certainly have that feel. And and didn't, um, didn't Turok say that, he was expecting someone else. Yeah, he was expecting Padden Fane because uh, if you'll remember back to when Padden Fane first brought the horn to Turok, there was that servant who uh, belittled him and like right. roughed him up. And Fane, when he left, was like thinking of the ways he was going to kill this man. No, he well, wasn't. He wasn't thinking of how he's gonna. Do it. He knew how he was gonna yeah. do it. <laughs> well, apparently he made good on that. Yes, he did. That's what what tipped Turok off here, and I think yeah. that's. I think they walked into a trap that was set for Pad and Fane. <laughs> okay. Uh, that's my impression of what happens here because things are a little too well organized. Obviously, you know, he does make mention of the fact that he found the dead body that Ingtar left. Right. <laughs> so that that was a bit of a, a heads up. But I think it was a little too prepared to have not at least been something like the horn just sitting in the middle of the room, like on a pedestal. Like, right. it was just a little too, uh, you know, my my spidey sense is tingling walking into this room. It's just like... I don't know. that That detail in particular feels like something someone like Lord Turok would do to have like this prized thing yeah. and have it just, cause he, he's, he's so confident with his security, you know, and he has that just sitting there uh, on full display. True. I don't know. I'm just kind of, I'm kind of shooting off the, off the hip with that. Um, yeah. yeah, but they, they get caught, but not before let, let's, let's mention this before we get into that little exchange. Uh, before Turok and the other Shan Chan show up, Rand and um, one other member of the party, I can't remember who, are over by the windows, and Rand thinks he sees something or someone just across the way. He doesn't just way. think he sees, he is convinced he's, he's, beyond yeah, a he's, shadow of a doubt. He's, he's certain that it's Egwene. Yeah. Which... He's probably right, or he is yeah. right. We know that. <laughs> yeah. We know where Egwene is, which, which, which you know, raises an, an interesting point. You know, he sees her. I think you know she was out in that garden, right? Yeah. And we know that things are happening simultaneously here. So, you know, she she wasn't there for very long. No. But but Rand managed to to catch a glimpse, and his. His focus shifts because yep. up until this point, you know, he's kind of, you know, even though Ingtar has been, you know, really, you know, horn focused, 
Yeah. Matt's been dagger focused. Rand's kind of been on Matt's side, but then all of a sudden he kind of forgets all of that. And it's all about Egwene. Well, at this point, Matt has the dagger. So, that's you know, true. that's done. So he doesn't have to worry about that anymore. And the entire time, he could really care less about the darn horn. He really could. Like, he never wanted the horn. He's never had any interest in it. In his mind, it's just something else the Aes Sedai can tie to him. So he really d- could care less what happens to the horn, other than the fact that, obviously, you don't want it to end up with the Dark Friends. Right. Uh, but, you know, it's a big difference between this stupid magical object that has no personal connection and the girl he was pretty much betrothed to at one point. Yeah. I mean, that shifts his focus entirely in a split second. Yeah. But, but it, it comes as a, it comes as a shock because they've all been, you know, they, they even... You know, Matt and Perrin even argue with Rand. No, uh, Egwene's safe in the White Tower. However safe, safe in the White Tower is. Yeah. <laughs> but, it's supposed to be the safest place you could possibly be. Yeah, but. I guess. I don't know from their perspective. They might have some doubts about that. But, you know, yeah. she's supposed to be in the White Tower. All of a sudden, she's, you know, across the continent. Yeah. You know, so to speak. Uh, basically, because... You know, Tarvalon's all the way back to the west or to the east. We're as far west as you can go on the map, and um, yeah, she's she's not supposed to be here, yeah. but apparently she is. But we we've got uh, you know we we have all kinds of things going on at the same time. So you know, that's in in Rand's head that Egwene is not safe. But then, just as he's trying to figure that out. Company shows up in the form of the High Lord Turok and a number of Shan Chan soldiers and a few servants. Yeah. And the fun begins. <laughs> yeah, it really is interesting how quickly things kind of devolve here. Like, yeah. <laughs> there's soldiers, and all of a sudden, Ingtar and Huron are just like, Charge! Yeah. Basically, yeah, and well, uh, you know, Parrot and Matt are just like, okay, let's go. Well, you and know. not not before not before Matt tries to fend off a soldier who tries to come and take the horn. Yes, and it's been hinted at in the past, but now we finally see what happens when someone gets cut by that dagger. Yeah, and it is not. Pretty. Nope. Should, should we should we read that? It's it's disturbing. I just read it again a few minutes ago. I mean, I think we kind of have to. It really. All like, right. I've I've got it marked because <laughs> I was kind of feeling the same way. We uh we we have to read this. So so what we have is there's this this kind of tension as Turok has found them. Everything's kind of squaring off. You know they've 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 kind of. You know, everything's kind of on the edge of a knife, and then it's Matt put an end to it. As the Shan Chan reached out his hand, Matt slashed it with the ruby hilted dagger. With a curse, the soldier leapt back, looking surprised, and then he screamed. It chilled the room, held everyone where they stood in astonishment. The trembling hand he held up in front of his face was turning black 
darkness creeping outward from the bleeding gash that crossed his palm. He opened his mouth wide and howled, clawing at his arm. Then his shoulder, kicking, jerking, he toppled to the floor, thrashing on the silken carpet, shrieking as his face grew black and his dark eyes bulged like overripe plums, until a dark, swollen tongue gagged him. He twitched, choking raggedly, heels drumming, and did not move again. Every bit of his exposed flesh was black as putrid pitch and looked ready to burst at a touch. So, basically, he just, almost like, you know, he started to decay or, you know, he was, he was, essentially, he, he was corrupted. Yeah. And it's not a pretty picture. Yeah. But now we know. So be very careful around that dagger, right? My question is, do you think it's just the dagger? Or do you think it's the dagger combined with what's already happened to Matt? Like the two together. Well, and I, in, I would... in bike times terms, if Pat and Fane had the dagger, the same thing. Like, do you think if any rando just picked it up, would it do this? Or do you think it's because that corruption is already a part of Matt too? I hadn't really thought of it that way. I've thought of it as being purely something that that it's in the dagger. Okay. Like Um, I said, this was just a thought. I was curious. That's the way I, it's the way it read to me is that, you know, I hadn't really thought about Matt's part in it, but uh, I mean, we don't know anybody else who's been cut by it. Do we? Uh, Other than the people who were were uh, Fane cut. Yeah. There were hints when Pat and Fane had it, but again, that's a similar situation with Matt. Yeah. We haven't seen anybody outside of those two use this dagger on anybody, so there's no way to know. At least yeah. not right now. Um, see, now you have me thinking. <laughs> I don't like it when you make me think. <laughs> I'm just, just curious. I uh, like to bring up things like that because I ponder over things myself. No, that's interesting. Something I hadn't really thought about, but again, I just... I read it as, you know, this dagger itself has this corruption within it. Yeah. Because because of its association with Shatter Logoth, because of its association with Mordeth. Yeah. That's why this happens. You know, before you said that, I would have thought anybody could pick up this dagger and slash somebody with it, and it would have had the same effect. Yeah. But now I doubt myself. Yeah. Uh, Like I said, it's just something that occurs to me, and I was curious what your thoughts were on it. Because it, you know, you use the word, and I think it's very telling, corruption. Yeah. As far as, like, not poisoned or, you know, uh, just killed. It is very much reads like he is being corrupted entirely from the inside out. Yeah. Uh, So it's very disturbing uh it also makes me wonder what exactly that does to the poor man's soul yeah i guess that's not something we can really know the answer to right now either but i mean that's definitely something that uh is very important in this world is is the soul yeah uh what happens after you die um yeah and in I, this I don't case, think we get any real 
measure of that here. It's just one of those things that pops into my head. Right, right. Um, I don't know. Uh, but uh, Matt's not the only one uh, using a blade. Yeah. Uh, you know, there, there's fighting all around the room. Ingtar and Huron go off, you know, for, for, for the honor of, of, you know, Shinar. You know, Matt and Perrin are involved as well, and Rand is left one-on-one with High Lord Turok, who we find out <laughs> is uh, no slouch with the sword. Yeah. In fact, so, uh, um, Rand's not the only person in this room with the hair and marked blade. Correct. Uh, and, a very uh, different type of blade, though, which I think is fun. Uh, is it really? Does that is it described? Yeah. So the way it's described, um, it's almost his sword is almost described to me as though like a scimitar, like a large curved bladed sword. Think of like something like from a, the Arabian Nights. Okay. Type deal. Okay. Um, is how it's basically described. It's a large bladed curved sword. Yeah, um, I'd have to uh, go back and look at that again, but. Uh... The most important thing is that it has a heron mark on it. It does. <laughs> uh, Which is the symbol of a blade master. And, and we should probably assume that Turok is a legitimate blade master. Yeah. Yeah, I very much doubt he just carries around that sword for giggles. Uh, well, doesn't carry it around. He has servants who carry it for him. This whole little scenario here... It's kind of interesting. Bran's just standing there, and Turok is just like, little by little, his servants are like undressing him, and like, ch- <laughs> and then they like bring his sword forth, and he draws it. Like it's very ceremonial, almost yeah. <laughs> how it's going on yeah. here, uh, until well, finally they engage. Yeah, we we've mentioned, you know, we've mentioned before how the Shan Chan definitely have like a very Eastern, you know, aesthetic. Yeah. You know, like feudal, feudal Japan or China, that kind of thing. And 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 I think this moment definitely, uh, to me, at least the vibe that I was getting was very like the, the shogunate or the samurai yeah. kind of uh, kind of feeling from it. And, um, you know, you mentioned a scimitar. Maybe it is a little bit more Middle Eastern, but still there is that, you know, that now feel that you, to it. Now that you mentioned that. I want to check that real quick. Give me just one second. Okay. Um, yeah. Here we go. Where is it described? I thought I could find it real quick. Now that you've mentioned it, it might be more like a samurai sword. Now yeah. that now that you say that. Well, I, I found like a curved blade. The, the only description I could find was that just says that it was a heavy curved blade. Yeah. I mean, which would fit either the scimitar or a katana because katanas kind of have a curve to them as well. Yeah. Um, either way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this man is no slouch when it comes to the sword, which raises the question, how in the light does Rand manage to win this fight? It's because he's think- the main character, right? <laughs> no, I think it's actually a combination of a couple different things. All right, let me hear what you got to say. 
Okay, so I think one, uh, because, so when we start this fight, anytime Rand does well in a fight, it's because he goes into the void. Yeah. The beginning of the fight, he won't do it because he's afraid of Sidene. Right. So he's making mistakes, he's barely holding his own, he's on the defensive the entire time, up to the point that Turok basically is like disgusted with him and just assumes he's just a boy who picked up a sword and doesn't know what he's doing. And so Turok is kind of, what Rand does here inadvertently, he isn't trying to do this, but what he does is he lulls Turok into a false sense of security, like... He basically convinces, by his actions, he convinces Turok that he's not a threat. Okay. And so I think Turok, at this point, is mostly just playing with him. And then all of a sudden, because he knows he has to do it, he's not going to survive without it, Rand goes into the void. And when he does, things start to become a lot more even-footed. Yeah, it changes the whole the whole thing. Yeah, but even that... Rand notices that, you know, he's not a match. Like, he's going to lose. Yeah. What tips it for him is he makes the rash decision. He chooses to, all of a sudden, he's been defensive, he's been fighting back, and all of a sudden, on a dime, he goes full attack. Mm-hmm. Like, without any warning. So, like... Here Turok is, he's planning, all right, so how am I going to finish this guy? Because he's just, Rand's just parrying blows and blocking and things like that. And then all of a sudden, Rand completely changes his stance and just goes like, you know, almost on a rampage attack, like a berserker type attack almost. Yeah. He's just like, wham, da bam da bam And it catches Turok off guard. And I think that this is a combination of the Void... And how closely tied that is to Sidene. Yeah. I don't think he's using Sidene. He's not channeling. Right. But he's coming further into the void than he would have, say, like when Tam taught him to use it and shoot an arrow. Yeah. He's he's in the void in a deeper way now, into the point that all the outside thoughts, all the Rand's concerns are outside the void. And he just exists in this void. Uh, him and the sword. Um and then I think it's, but on top of that, I think it's also Taviran. Because it's think, always Taviran. I think it is the pattern is shaping itself around him and pulling the strings. Yeah. I think it is a combination of all that spun together yeah. is what leads to him winning here. I, I would, I would say you're probably right. Uh, especially about that that last point because it always comes back to Taviran. Yeah, and Taviran is not always a good thing. No. Yeah, I I want to make sure the readers understand that because at this point, for some, for a lot of these first two books, it seems like every time Taviran is mentioned, it's like, oh, happenstance happens to be on my side. Yay! I must be Taviran. You know, it seems like a very positive thing. Like the pattern is working around you and you know making things happen. But it could go just as poorly for you as it does the next person. Right. Like, the pattern isn't weaving it around. Like, the pattern's being woven around you, not by you. Right. Um, but we haven't seen that yet, really. Yeah. So. But, yeah. So, Rand manages a win. Which, he does. Uh, 
Which leads to an interesting predicament here. Do you realize what it means? Oh, what does it mean? So, Rand, there are two ways to become a Blade Master. Okay. You can be judged by a panel of three Blade Masters to be worthy of it and be given the, the title of Blade Master. Okay. Or you can defeat a Blade Master. Okay. So, Rand now, because of what happens here, is by all rights an actual Blade Master. He just earned the Heron mark on his blade. Okay. So no no more of this, uh, you know, he just picked up the sword. Which, it was funny when you mentioned, you know, Turek thinking of him as a kid who just picked up a sword. Because, well, he was a kid who just picked up a sword. Yep. <laughs> but he has had training. It wasn't that he doesn't know what he's doing with it. He has had the training. Yep. And uh, now you're telling me that, you know, he's he's earned his... He's earned the rank of Blade Master. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, we uh, we might need to get moving along. Is there anything else we need to? No, I think that's here? it. I I do just I got so into the sword fight that I kind of lost track of where we were. But yeah, yeah. we do need to to move on along. Yeah, we let, have a lot still to come. Let's clip on along to chapter forty six to come out of the shadow. Nynaeve's group enters the Demane quarters and manages to free Egwene from the Adam. And while Bale Dolman waits, and Jeffrey Bornhold watches from afar, manifestations of the power erupt in the streets of Falma as the women try to escape to the docks. At the same time, another mystery is resolved as Rand learns a terrible secret from a trusted companion. Well, I'm not ready for that last part of the chapter, so let's start with uh, let's break it down by uh, point of view again. Let's talk about what's going on with Nynaeve and that crew. Um, they get in. They find Egwene. They uh, get the collar off of her neck. And everything's okay, right? Everybody's happy. Oh, Everybody's yeah. going to go on about their lives like no none of this ever happened. Right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, sure. I mean... Egwene's fine, right? I mean, there's nothing wrong with Egwene. Oh, uh, this, uh, this poor child. Yeah. Um, she's going to be dealing with this for a long time. Yeah, she's... Uh, there's definitely going to be some PTSD. Yeah. And I, I think she may already be experiencing it to some effect. Just, just her, the way she behaves in... In this chapter, you can tell that this whole thing has not been good for her mentally. No, uh, she is. She's almost broken down. She she's she was on the verge. I think. Yeah, she was. They got there just in time, basically. Yeah. Like, and even that is still. I think we we see. Really, for lack of a better way of putting it, we witness in these scenes the death of the Egoine that we knew. Oh, yeah. Um, the innocence, the, the you know, almost fairy tale aspects to her have been stripped away. I don't know that she'll ever get that back. You know, she's, 
she's a different person than she was when they mm. came came riding into Falma. Yeah. Like she is not the same Egwene. Uh, she is experienced, and this is the first character. Um, one of the things Robert Jordan is known for is trauma. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and this is the first trauma of the Wheel of Time. This is uh, just so heartbreaking what happened what has happened to her what's been done to her and how it has changed her um, yeah you know it, we and we see that going further into the chapter too yeah i i'm just i'm just kind of thinking here that there is the the now that that i sit and think about it the way you describe it it definitely to me uh seems to be i mean there's definitely something metaphorical here um, for real world trauma that women face in our world yeah. today. And, and, and in some cases men too, but a lot of the times women, um, with, you know, assault and things of that nature. Um, yeah. you know, that that's, it's one of the great things, you know, this, these are, these are, this is fiction. It's supposed to be fun, but at the same time, you know, Good writing challenges us and and makes us, you know, makes us think about the world that we live in. And and now that I'm I'm looking at this, this is what I love about us being able to discuss things like this, because otherwise I might just read through it. And yeah, yeah I see the the story situation, but I may not make the connection to any possible real world parallels, but I think I'm doing that now with, with this situation, but she is, she's definitely angry. Yeah. Uh, rightfully. So, uh, just the way she behaves, you know, she wants to do to Sita what had been done to her. She, you know, Rena walks in at some point and Egwene wastes no time with just, going to town on this woman. Well, the, the thing <laughs> that, that sh it's, it's appropriate what happened. So yeah, Rena walks in and Egwene. So she's completely of herself. She could have channeled at her. She could have done anything, but what does she do? She grabs that water based pitcher. Yeah. The one that she wasn't allowed to use because she tried to use it as a weapon once. Right. She grabs it and uses it like she wanted to all that time ago. Yeah. And then she just unleashes yeah, like she, uncontrollably. She, she goes uh, completely feral on her. Yeah. Right. And, <laughs> you know, she, they talk about, um, at one point, uh, with Rena and Sita, you know, how Egwene wishes, that she could boil them like alive. And then yeah. Elaine is like, oh, why would you say that? And then she's like, that's what they did to me. Yeah. They literally used the, think about that for a minute. Okay. They, they made her feel what it's like to be boiled alive. Yeah. That is not something you just bounce happily back from. Like that is beyond like, beyond torture yeah uh and, and 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 you know we we see you know this is not going away for her anytime soon because after she gets done with rena she pretty much collapses into Nynaeve 
Yeah. And is just sobbing. Yeah. Like, you know, completely just broken down. And, you know, she's she's determined she's never going to have that collar put on her neck again. Yeah. Whatever the cost. Oh, yeah. And I can't say I blame her. No, it's just, it's heartbreaking. Uh, yeah. Seeing what's been done to her. Um, um, which I'm not even the biggest Egwene fan, and I feel my heart goes out in these chapters. Well, you, like, you have to, right? Yeah. You have to. This, this is, uh, this, this young woman has been put through, you know, the worst of the worst. Yeah. Of what humanity can do to another person. Yeah. You know, with, with without, you know, I mean, it would have been, it, it would have been more merciful for her to die. Yeah. Than to suffer all of the things that they've done to her in this situation. Um, but it hasn't been a complete loss because she does give us some information that, uh, yeah, the missing piece of the puzzle. Yeah, we, we finally figure out how it is that the Adam works on Sita, and it's it's essentially that the Suldam are women who could be taught to channel. Yep. They're not born with the spark, but they could be taught, and this is why they end up developing what they call an affinity. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why it works. Yep. Uh, so, uh, And we have Rena to thank for her knowing that, because Rena revealed a lot of this... She revealed a lot of things to her and Egwene put the pieces together. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's a, uh, you know, we got a few hints here and there when we talk, you know, when every now and again we would see uh, Suldam and Damani, we kind of got some hints at things, but yeah. this really cinches it and confirms it. Yeah. My question here is, so Rena and uh, Sita are flabbergasted by this revelation. So, do we think that this is the first time anybody has figured this out? Or is it just a super highly guarded secret? It's got to just be a, a, a secret, right? There's, there's got to be... There's no way nobody's figured this out before. I, I think. Somebody has to have, you know, somewhere along the way, sussed this out and just kept it under wraps. But then again, I mean, if if you collar all of your Suldam, who's going to wear the bracelets? Yeah. I can't believe I'm just trying to think logically from the vo- point of view of a Shan-Chan, but I mean, yep. it, it, from, from their point of view, logically speaking, if you collar all of your women who can either have the spark or can be taught, who's going to wear the bracelets? Yeah. Um, because we, we know the men can't do it. Right. Uh, and apparently not all women would be able to do it either. Um, just a select few, but I don't know. Maybe, may, maybe it is a new information. Maybe there is not something that, you know, yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah. I was just curious. Yeah. I like to throw out ideas. Well, you know, they, you know, they basically leave uh, Sita and Rena there in Egwene's room, collared with the bracelet hanging up on a peg. 
Yep. Which Nynaeve says is justice. Right. Uh, I, I, I had which... that section marked, but for the sake of time, I think we can, we can pass on. I mean, but at the same time, you know, it is, you know, it, it, it would be, it's a greater punishment for them to go through what they're dealing with right now than if they were to kill them or something like that, because, yeah. you know, now they know what they've put these women through and they're, <laughs> they're stuck. Yep. There's nowhere that they can go. Nothing that they could do. Um, yeah, it's, it's act, honestly, it's a worse punishment than if they had just killed them. Right. It's, it's, it's a lot more and it's, it's very appropriate. It is justice. It is, it is appropriate yeah. in my opinion. Uh, somebody yeah. might argue that it's over the top, but I don't think it is. No, for all that these women have done, I, I think it's, it, you know, the, the punishment fits the crime in yeah. this case. Um, they get out, they manage to escape, but it's not smooth no. sailing down to the docks. No, they They're, run into basically an army. <laughs> uh, you know, it, the... Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's basically... We, we get to see, you know, fighting with the power. Yep. We get to see women, you know, on both sides, you know. Egwene starts it with making the ground erupt. Then there's this huge fireball, which I kind of think we get a glimpse of what may have happened in those villages. Yeah. Where the ground was scorched in, 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 in that, that area. And yeah. then, um, you know, Nynaeve makes lightning start crashing everywhere. Uh, the one power is uh, <laughs> something else. Yeah. And this is uh, the first time, really. I mean, we've seen here and there with like Moraine fighting the Forsaken. We saw her yeah. use fire there. But this is the first time we really see the one power used as a weapon. Right. Right. We're, we're getting it full force yeah. and, and seeing, you know... <laughs> getting maybe a glimpse of Egwene and Nynaeve's power, right? Yeah. Uh, and just... Egwene's power has definitely increased and her control has increased due to what was being done to her. Like, if nothing else, they were training her. Like, they were making her stronger. Yeah. And now she's turning it on them, you know. So, uh, because, you know, before she was taken by them... She was still at the stage where, like, making balls of light was somewhat difficult. Yeah. And now, here she is ripping the earth apart. And, <laughs> and it's it's been, what, a few weeks? Maybe a I, month since I she was captured? I would say it's probably closer to two at this point. Is it, has it been that long? Yeah, because they've gone... Uh, well, yeah. It was the beginnings of autumn... When they got there, and now it's like it's cold, almost right. like cold. Right. Okay. So it's, it's been a little bit of time. It has been some time. Okay. Um, so there, there's been there's been some progress made on on both of those ends, but uh, they do yeah. manage to get Egwene free. And really, the last we see of them is in this battle. We don't really get uh, we don't get to the end of that road, I guess, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, although we do get to the end of that road in a way because we do jump to Bail Doman again. Yeah. Who's still waiting. <laughs> still waiting. Even as we see here, the city basically starts coming undone 
the one power is flying about. He's he sees Nynaeve's lightning and is like, there do not there be not enough clouds for that. Right. You know, he knows what's happening here. That the one power is being thrown about, and he still stays. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, kudos to Bell Doman. Bell Doman. Bell Doman's a good man. Yeah. Uh, I think. I hope he sticks around for a while because I think we're going to like him a lot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, another quick little glimpse uh, in uh, Jeff from Bornhold's point of view. Yeah. Uh, with the White Cloaks. Um, you just love getting in a White Cloaks head, right? I do love getting in a White Cloaks head. <laughs> uh, although, you know, Bornhold is tolerable, right? I, I think I've established yeah. that. I can I can deal with him a lot better than some of the others. Yeah, um, but I mean, there's really not not much here either. Um, you know, they're outside the city. They see the, all these things going on from afar: the lightning flashing, that kind of thing. And he sends Bayar away, and then they to start marching towards the city. That's pretty much, yeah, pretty much all that happens there. Yeah. Um, you got anything else on either of those two? No. Uh, I think that pretty much sums up what happens here. I mean, he's just yeah. basically, I think he has come to the conclusion at this point that it's a fool's errand, what he's doing here. Yeah. Like he's not going to win when he's faced against this kind of power. So that's why he sends by our, because he needs a witness. He needs, he can't not do what he has to do, but he needs to make sure that somebody gets the message back about what happened. Yeah. So. Um. All right. We're coming this, to the end uh, here. This this section, I'm I'm not ready for it, but we got to <sighs> talk about it. Yeah. Um, let, let's. Do you want to say anything about what's going on with Rand before we talk about Ingtar? Um, I just Rand at this point is just full on in got to get to Egwene. Like he can feel things coming undone. Yeah. You know, he needs to get to her. Um, you know, but it is, it, it's gone p- past like, oh, I just need to get to, like, it's almost an instinctive, like, in his bones kind of need at this point. He has to. Yeah. He, you know, he doesn't well, say, I need to. He says, I have to reach her. Right. Well, there, there was something that was mentioned. I just made a note of it, but, but, um, he's, he's kind of realizing how intertwined his life is with all of these different players and, 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 and more so than just, they grew up together, you know, they were yeah. all but betrothed. I, I think he's getting the idea that, you know, his, trajectory in life depends on these people. Egwene, Perrin, Matt, others that, you know, he's he's got this connection with. So I thought that I, might be something worth worth mentioning. You know, and I agree with you. Um I think and this is I'm gonna sound like a broken record. I think what's happening here, especially uh when Rant says here, you know, she's in trouble, he muttered, Egwene, there was an odd feeling in his head as as if 
pieces of his life were in danger. Egwene was one piece, one thread of the cord that made his life, but there were others, and he could feel them threatened. Yeah. And, you know, he didn't understand it, but he knew it for sure and certain. That I think what's happening here is because of the level of Tefirin nature that Rand has, I think he is actually feeling and understanding a part of the pattern here, like the weaving around him. Like when he talks, when he uses that word thread of the cord, I think he's literally in his mind that Tavira nature is pulling so strongly. And part of what the Tavira does is basically the threads in the pattern are woven around you. I think he's physically feeling those threads and the fact that, even one of those threads being cut short here would be disastrous for what the the pattern is weaving mm. for his life specifically. Yeah, I I definitely I picked up on that specifically that use of the word threads. Yeah. Um and and again it it comes back to Tavirin. Yep. <laughs> Everything comes back to Tavirin. Um oh, yeah. All right. We learn about a lot about Ingtar in a brief little part of this chapter. Yeah. He was responsible for some of the stuff that happened at Faldara. Yeah. Now I want to ask you a question. Um, His, his musings about, you know, the pale little man that he brought into, into the keep. Mm-hmm. Is, is, is he talk? is he talking about Pad and Fane? No. He's not? No. Okay. So then who is he talking about? He's talking about the assassin that tried to shoot the Armorlin slash Rand. Okay. Well, I, I picked uh, that up, but, but it, it I, I guess I, I just kind of, combined a couple of things but then it's i started thinking about it more that you know by the time that happened Padden fane was gone yeah but i at first now, i was thinking maybe you know he was somehow coerced to bring Padden fane into the keep in the first place and of course that kind of devolved into all the other stuff going on yeah um no i think what he specifically did is that he let the assassin in okay Um, Um, It wasn't, I don't think he necessarily had a hand in uh, letting the Murdral or the Trollocs or Padden Fane, you know, loose. Okay. I think what he was involved in was definitely the assassination attempt. Right. But he And even he says that he doesn't know who the assassin was meant for. Yeah. He just had orders to let them in the city. Well, that's just the thing is he was working on the side of the shadow yep. in that moment. However, the way he puts it, it was almost a, like a deal with the devil kind of thing. Yeah. Out of his desire to protect his homeland. Yeah. And you really feel for him here. You really And do. it just shows the nature of like, things are not black and white all the time. And, you know, he, we haven't revealed here that he is a dark friend, 
but he didn't do it for power or for money or out of an evil nature. He did it because over and over and through his life, he had watched other nations just like his fall to the shadow over yeah. and over while the rest of the world laughed on, continued the Southland made it all into a story and it wasn't real to them. Yeah. And he just saw, you know, he mentioned several different names and then at the last he decides not to say one. I think the one he was thinking of at the end there is probably Malkir. Yeah. Um, and so he decides he wants to do something. He makes the deal to save his people. Right. It's the his, wrong choice. Yeah. But his heart was in the right place. <laughs> the wrong choice for the right reason. <laughs> yeah. Um, but at at this point, he he wants to come back to the light, right? And you know, I, I love what Rand tells him. You know, at one point, he's like, "I think all you have to do is stop being one of them," right? Yeah. He won't say dark friend, but we know that that's what he's talking about. And he says, "Ingtar, it's just you know, stop being one of them." But Ingtar you know, feels the need to do something like almost like he's trying to earn his place back in the light. Yeah. Right. He thought the horn would be his salvation. Now he is thinking that if he stays here and fights off the Shan Chan and lets the others get away with the horn, that's his salvation. Yeah. And right here at the end, uh, the, the last thing that, that Rand says to him, uh, it, 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 it really just, it gets me. I want to go back. I'm going to read a couple of paragraphs. Yeah. Uh, this is, this is right at the end. Go Rand, Ingtar said. He turned to face the street and did not look at Rand or Huron again. Take the horn where it belongs. I always knew the Omerlin should have given you the charge, but all I ever wanted was to keep Shinar whole, to keep us from being swept away and forgotten. I know, Ingtar, Rand drew a deep breath. The light shine on you, Lord Ingtar of House Shinoa, and may you shelter in the palm of the Creator's hand. He touched Ingtar's shoulder. The last embrace of the mother welcome you home. I, I'm, I'm getting chills, like, right this moment, reading that. I read it a couple of times. I listened to it. And every time I got those chills, I got a little bit misty in my eyes because it's such a beautiful moment, isn't it? It is. Because we know how important that is to the Shinarans. And it's basically Rand's way of saying, you're back in the light. Yeah. You know, it's, it's forgiveness. And... Yeah. And in in my line of work, I'm pretty big on forgiveness. (laughs) Yeah. I, I too, you know, it's two things that strike me here. Uh, The first one is we really get to see here the genuine and uh, caring personality that is at the core of Rand. Like he, like, and this is something you'll see more and more as we come to grow and, and know Rand, but he really wants the best 
in people. Like he wants to see the best. He wants like he has this almost endless supply of wanting for people to be redeemed. Uh, almost yeah. to his detriment at some points later in his life. But still, mm. he he wants to see that people can make a change and make a difference. I think that's really neat to see here in Rand, his willingness to, you know, literally he's an enemy by being a dark friend. He's, he, you know, he's put them all at risk. He, you know, that assassin very well could have been meant for Rand. Yeah. Um, but Rand is still here willing to forgive and to comfort him. And then I think two, and again, I'm going to sound like a broken record here to yeah. To me, I wonder if what's happening right here at the end doesn't sing to me as Rand focusing that Tavirin nature. I, I, I'm trepidatious to say it, but I wonder if unconsciously Rand here is for the first time actually tapping into that Taviran nature and is actively pulling on the thread that is Ingtar, hmm. like pulling him back into the light. Well, at the end of the day, um, at least at this point, I, th- I think Ingtar has found his salvation. Yeah. I, f- I feel that. I yeah. feel that he, he is, you know, which maybe he made that transition a long time ago. But I think this is the moment that solidifies that, you know, he's not a dark friend anymore. He is walking in the light. Um, he made a mistake. Yeah. Um, and now he, he wants to atone for it. Which is a core tenet of Robert Jordan. It's yeah. all about choice. And, you know, we would not have gotten here without Ingtar. No. We, we wouldn't. We You know, he, he can say all that he wants about... Rand should have had the the lead, and, but no, we wouldn't have gotten here without Ingtar. So Ingtar, you know, we, uh, you know, I, I'm gonna give you, you know, I can't do any more than what Rand has already done. <laughs> yeah, uh, there is no higher honor that that we could give uh, in this case. Um, so we'll, I guess we'll just let Rand's words, uh, we'll, we'll let Rand's words be be the deciding note on. Ingtar's life. Yeah. <sighs> Made it through that. that. Yeah. <laughs> I think that brings us uh, to yeah, the that, end of these chapters. That, that gets us down to the end, man. This has been heavy. Yeah. There's been a lot here. I, I, I do want to say um, I am uh, I'm, I'm worried about Bella. <laughs> um, yeah. If um, if Bella gets left behind, I'm done. <laughs> Bella cannot get left behind. Bella has been Bella has been a hero up to this point. Yeah. And we cannot we cannot leave her in the stables in Falma. No. Um and I still want to know where Moraine and Lan are. Yeah. Maybe um, they're gonna rescue Bella. <laughs> maybe so. Maybe so. Um <laughs> Uh, Lord Ingtar, not the worst. Definitely not. Definitely not. Well, that's that's going to be my final thought for this episode. What about you? I agree. Uh, I think there's a lot to unpack in these two chapters. 
Um, but this book is very much end heavy. Like there's a ton that happens right here. And it's not big action set pieces. It's, it's character. It's heart. Yeah. It's, you know, it is, you know, the stuff that makes your heart hurt when you read it. Uh, and it still does to me, even, you know, the 10th or 11th time, you know, it's just, Robert Jordan did such a good job with these chapters. He, he really was a, a master at his craft. Yeah. Um, so, but we still have more to come. <laughs> we aren't to the end yet. Yeah, There's still, uh, this, still chapters to be had. You know, th- this felt like a climax, but, um, I got a hint. I got a feeling there's there's more to come. Yeah, I know that there's more to come because I've already read next week's chapter. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because we're recording a little bit later this week than we normally would. Um, so I'm I'm a little bit ahead. Uh, but uh, that's for next week. Um, yeah. Uh, so, so make sure to join us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for joining us for this week. Uh, Happy to have you. We love being able to, uh, I, I don't know. I, I wonder, you know, maybe at some point we might talk about these, even if we weren't recording it for, for all of you, but we're glad to be able to record our discussions and share them with you. Of course, new episodes come out every Tuesday. Uh, you can find them on multiple different podcast platforms. Uh, we would love it if you would subscribe, give us a rating, give us a review. Uh, that'll be, uh, helpful to us and it'll help you to get new episodes whenever they are available. Uh, join us on social media. We're on Twitter, uh, Instagram, Facebook, uh, got a YouTube page. We, you can email us. I think all of that information is available in the show notes where you can find us, follow, like, uh, whatever you, you want to do. Chat with us. Say hi. Uh, let us know your thoughts. Um, you know, if you agree, if you disagree, whatever the case may be, you know, we'd love to talk with you. And uh, come, as Stephen said, come back next time. For yeah. definitely come. I mean, how how can you leave now? Right, we're right here at the end of this book, and and there's some good stuff to come. Stephen, what are we covering next week? So next week we're going to take on two more chapters in chapters forty-seven and forty-eight. All right, and and I got a feeling it's going to be a good one. Yeah. Yeah, there's some there's some good stuff coming up, I think. So uh make sure you you read those chapters or listen to those chapters or whatever, you know, whatever you want to do between now and then. But uh we'll be back in one week and we'll talk about chapters forty seven and forty eight. Until then, uh hope that you have a fantastic week. Uh stay in the light and um we'll see you next time. Y'all have a wonderful day and a great rest of your week. Really dig into these next couple chapters because there's some really fun stuff about to kick off. All right. Bye, everybody. See you guys.